Being an empath can be challenging. Feeling everybody else's unspoken feelings and, and it, it being so sensitive. But you know what? It can also be amazing and rewarding. And today's guest empowers us to embrace our gifts and stand in what she calls the new human blueprint that we came here to be. Hi, I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz. Just getting back home from beautiful New Zealand. Oh, Gosh, I wish I could have taken you all with me, but I am glad to be back with you for another conscious conversation on exploring possibilities. Our show's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, other popular podcast apps, and youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. Joining us in just a moment is Reverend Stephanie Redfeather. Thank you for your response. Contacting our show's creator and producer, Mario Rosales of Tech Life Balance. He's been quite busy responding to your technology needs from websites to social media to YouTube and much more. He is helping you get your message out there in a bigger way. Now, if you haven't yet contacted him for help, visit MarioRosales.com. He's such a joy to work with. And who knows? Maybe you'll be the next one to publish your podcast and I'll be your listener. Also, check out his Astro Fractals. It's MarioRosales.com. Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, PhD, is a shamanic priestess, author, and teacher, and she's written a powerful book called The Evolutionary Empath, A Practical Guide for Heart-Centered Consciousness. I want to give a shout out and thanks to Inner Traditions and Bear and Company for bringing this book into my awareness. Needless to say, I saw myself on pretty much every page. <laughs> Reverend Redfeather is the founder and director of the Blue Star Temple, found online at bluestartemple.org and is an ordained shamanic minister and graduate of the Venus Rising University. That's right, another one affiliated with Linda Starwolf. How wonderful is that? She's also a Mesa carrier in the Pachacuti Mesa tradition of Peru and has studied with Don Oscar Miro Quesada and his lineage since 2005. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much, Cheryl. I'm excited to be here with you. I am so excited to have you because this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And for anyone that's not an empath, I guarantee you're close to one. It's that person that's always feeling everything and trying to figure out how to deal with that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the one that's always overwhelmed or <laughs> like, wait, wait, I hear something. I feel something. I sense something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was me. But you know what? For, for most of my life, I was unconscious of that. I just went around taking care of everybody else's feelings and thought that that's what I needed to do. And, mm -hmm. and do you hear that a lot from people as they hear I, your work? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the primary um, life experiences we have when we are unconscious that we're an empath is that we feel everybody else's emotions but because our own personal energy field is so porous, if you will, that it's in our nature to blend and merge, we have no other reference point. And so we we think, quote, think that that's natural. Um, and so we unconsciously sort of take it on as our own responsibility or, you know, for some of us for a period of time, we can't even separate what is ours from what is someone else's. Well, exactly. And. So I guess we should start by asking you kind of what led you to this work and then to, to please define for us what is an empath? Yeah, well, I've been an empath my whole life, but for the first 30 years, I didn't know it. And so as my spiritual awakening happened, there were several things that were having a parallel journey with my spiritual awakening. And one of those things was really coming to terms with and understanding myself as an empath. And so, you know, I 
spent a lot of years bumping into walls and cussing at God and, you know, just feeling overwhelmed and trying to figure all of this out. And so through a lot of trial and error and certainly help from other teachers, but there, for the most part, I felt like I was kind of on my own because there were not all of the books and podcasts and radio shows and video home study courses and everything, you know, 20 years ago that there was today. So, you know, when my, I, I'll, I'll make this brief, when I went through kind of my spiritual dark night of the soul, it's a period of time I call being in the spiritual crucible. And when I stepped out of that spiritual crucible, I feel like I emerged with wisdom, with perspective, with understanding. And that was when my business was born because I felt like I felt called that if I could help somebody else's path be easier, shorter, you know, that time in the crucible, not so painful, not so much gnashing of teeth and all of that kind of stuff, then that is what um, motivated me to, to do this work. I totally feel you. I felt you before we ever connected because I am an empath, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I also feel how my story is your story and your story is my story and, and so many empaths stories. And there is that for the spiritual awakening, dark night of the soul that you're describing. But how wonderful to have these resources to find a book and go, Oh, there I am. Let me read more for me. <laughs> yeah. For yeah, me, I wish I had this book 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and for me, 20 years ago wasn't my spiritual awakening. It was kind of when I discovered something called codependency. And mm. so that was the label that I lived with is, oh, I must just be codependent. Mm -hmm. So how yeah. do you differentiate is codependency? I think you kind of describe codependency as as uh, characteristic number one of being an empath. Are all codependence empaths and vice versa? You know, I, I'm not a person of absolutes, but I would say that the majority of empaths have have dabbled in codependency, if not just jump right smack in the middle <laughs> of the pool, um, for sure. And, um, you know, if you like, I can go ahead uh, a little deeper into the definition of an empath. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you that when I sat down to write this book, my spirit guides gave me only one directive, and that was to create a definition. And so after after a few moments of what? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I, I just started diving into it. And, you know, I think this term has been around for many decades. People generally understand what it means, but I haven't seen anybody else really get granular on picking out what it means to be an empath. And so in the book, I actually spend two chapters delineating multiple aspects of what it is to be an empath and give uh, anecdotal stories from people that I interviewed. And I actually uh, summarize it all with a one paragraph definition of what an empath is because I couldn't make it any shorter. <laughs> but the, the part that I like to share most frequently because it really encapsulates a huge part of the definition is what I call the five qualities of an empath. So I'll go ahead and share those. Um, the first quality is our ability to merge with and absorb the energy of other beings. So what I was referencing at the beginning here of the interview, and that's, you know, not just human beings, but animals, plants, rocks, trees, anything with life force. 
And this stems from a very open personal energy field. And so this is the quality that causes us to unconsciously take on other people's emotions and problems and also can cause us to struggle with boundaries. The second quality is that we have a highly sensitive nervous system. Which, you know, that may sort of sound like a, well, duh, you know, nervous systems are supposed to be sensitive. But for us, it's kind of like we got a double dose uh, of sensitivity. And so this can cause us to be very prone to overwhelm and overstimulation, which makes extra vigilant self-care a must. The third quality is the great sensitivity to the energies around us and an ability to perceive or access subtle information stored in the energy field of all types of life forms. So what I mean is that this is the quality that makes it easy for us to tune into the unseen realms or, you know, the other dimensions of consciousness. So I believe everything is sentient. Everything has consciousness. Everything is communicating. And so as empaths, this quality, you know, makes us Uh, more predisposed to seeing apparitions or seeing the dead or uh, being prone to paranormal experiences or being able to read the Akashic records or just having wicked intuition or people who are animal communicators, people who are drawn to the shamanic fields or being a medium, you know, all of those sorts of things. The fourth quality is the premium we place on peace and harmony, and that's in relationships, our environment, and our own energy field. And so in the unconscious years, this quality tends to make us codependent or doormats, or we acquiesce to everybody else's wants and needs uh, because we'll do anything and everything to keep our relationships and our environment as stress-free and calm as possible. And the fifth quality is our big open hearts and a desire to serve others. And so many, many people in my tribe are people in some kind of service profession, energy healers, massage therapists, nurses, other healthcare workers, etc. Um, although, you know, I was in the Air Force for 10 years, there are certainly empaths that are bankers and engineers and computer programmers and that sort of thing. Um, but this quality will also, if we're not careful, cause us to overgive and overdeliver and deplete ourselves because we're putting everybody else first and putting ourselves last on the list. So those are the five qualities of an empath. And and one thing I do want to say about that, because I, I have so many people will say, well, I don't really resonate with all of those. Does that mean I'm not an empath? And I say, absolutely not. All of these things run on a continuum. And so some people are going to peg high on one or two or three or four or five of those qualities and, and other people are going to peg low. So I don't have an absolute standard or threshold of, oh, nope, you know, you're, you're below the threshold. You're not an empath. I leave it up to you to determine if this resonates for you, because however you would place yourself on that scale as an empath, what is in this book and the, the skills, kind of the unspoken subtitle of this book is Life Skills for an Evolving Species. So no matter where somebody falls on the spectrum, the information in this book is useful and applicable. Yes, it is. I'm over here nodding like one of those little dogs that used to sit in the back window of the car and to everything that you're saying, like, there I am, there I am. Oh, I definitely feel that one. <laughs> and, you know, to be quite honest, even though, 
now as an awakened woman, I am aware of the gifts that these truly are. And I've spent a lot of time learning how to manage those gifts. Initially, I'm not sure I felt gifted at all. It's mm-hmm. a lot to manage. It can be overwhelming. And sometimes I just want to go in my house and close the door and lock the whole world out. And so I can, ah, and not have to manage all of that. Is that a yeah. common response too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, that kind of points back to the, um, extra sensitive nervous system. I mean, there's, there's other things that come into play, but that is one of the key, um, coping mechanisms or strategies or self-care pieces, however you want to label it. That's really critical for us is we do not process things the way quote average people do. Uh, we need more time alone. We need more time to purge our nervous systems and to manage everything. And so we have, in, in a way, we kind of have to be rebels and go against the grain because we cannot live our lives, if you will, the way the average person does. You can say that again. <laughs> It, but it is kind of a relief, too. And I hope that that's the way the listeners will embrace this. I want to hear it in your own words because you did such a fabulous job in the book. How is this a gift for the new human model of being? Or I forget your eloquent language for that. Yes, yes. Well, it, you know, one of the gifts I think I bring to the world is context. And as I was writing this book, I kept getting more and more higher level downloads from spirit about how empaths fit into the big picture. And it just became so clear that we are not a random occurrence. We're not a mistake. We're not an anomaly. We are here on purpose because it's time. And so there's one chapter in the book that's a little bit uh, different than all the rest. I kind of have a science geeky background. So there's a chapter where I talk about this thing called the great year. And very briefly, the great year is a 24,000 year cycle of time. Some people say 26,000. There's a reason for the discrepancy. So whatever model you subscribe to is fine. And for half of that period of time, humanity is ascending in consciousness. And the other half of that time, we're descending in consciousness. And if you're familiar with the Greek ages, Iron Age, Bronze Age, Silver Age, Golden Age, those are just ways of breaking down that 24,000 year cycle. So humanity is on the upswing. We are out of, you know, the rock bottom, if you will, you know, the the depth of the Iron Age. We are out of the Iron Age. We are into the Bronze Age. So we time is speeding up. We are raising in vibration. We are raising in consciousness. And so I believe that empaths are here on purpose to help humanity ascend to the next level of consciousness because we come into form with a refined energetic sensitivity with a slightly different energetic physiology. And I like to think that we are just the new human blueprint and that some hundreds or thousands of years in the future, empath isn't even going to be a word because it's just going to be synonymous with human. I agree with that. I think we all have these gifts to whatever degree we've chosen to develop them or not. And in the book, you, you, very well state, we came here as way showers and anchor points for the return of the divine feminine and the ascension into heart-centered consciousness and for holding the frequency of the new human blueprint on planet Earth. 
And, you know, that means we don't have the handbook until somebody like you starts to write it or somebody like me writes a book or we're here to write the handbooks on how to use these things. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a quote from the movie Moneyball that says the first guy through the wall always gets bloodied. And (laughs) collectively, those of us who are here right now on the planet as empaths, we are the empathic big bang. We are the first ones through the wall getting bloodied, paving the way for the ones coming behind us. Yes, we are. So can you share just a couple of probably your most popular tips that listeners who are relating to being an empath might want to start to play with to help manage some of this over inflow of energy that they feel? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. In the in the book, I talk very much uh, about your your energetic self you know, understanding yourself as an energy being and managing your energy field and secondarily boundaries. And to me, those things are interrelated, but you can't talk about everything at once. So I had to break them out into separate chapters and, you know, do them linearly, but, but they, they really do relate to one another. And so as energetic beings, well, let me, let me back up and say this. It can be confounding to be in a body when a piece of our psyche remembers what it's like in spirit form. Because in spirit form, the way we get around, the way we interact with other spirits or other forms of consciousness is different. And at that level, we recognize that we're all one. We all come from the same God stuff, if you will. We're all part of the same universe. But in a physical human body, we are different there. We, we have a distinction between you and me and that's not wrong or bad. So it's like we're simultaneously holding this understanding that we're all one, but we're not the same. And that's one of the chapters in the book is that you and I are one, but we're not the same. And so it is okay. It is encouraged. It is healthy to envision and monitor and care for your own energetic boundary. It doesn't mean that by having an edge, you're denying your spirituality or you're denying that at a certain level, we're all the same. And so figuring out where you end and the next person begins is a critical skill for an empath. And it just has to do with getting to know your own personal energy field and taking responsibility for good energetic hygiene, you know, just like you're going to clean your toilet and you're going to dust the furniture and you're going to vacuum the rugs. You need to care for and cleanse your energetic field and make decisions about who you're going to let in and who you're not. I mean, one of the, Techniques I use sometimes with clients, like if they especially have a lot of people in their energy field, I have sent them right back out the door and I've handed them, you know, a handful of crystals or something. And I would tell them every one of these represents somebody you're carrying in your energy field. Put them all here on the table or on the ground, leave them all outside the door (laughs) and then come back in where it's just you in your energy field and you're not bringing all of these other people in with you. So that's one thing. The other thing, and and again, your your edges are a form of boundaries, but another way of thinking about boundaries is saying no, establishing, defining your own sovereign space, your own personality, your own likes and dislikes by saying no, by asking for what you need, by speaking your truth. 
And I give examples of that in the book because I know when I started all of this, I would hear my teachers say certain things. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know you could say that. I didn't know you could ask for that. (laughs) And so I actually put languaging, you know, examples of languaging in the book for people that, that need help with those things, who, who couldn't take the leap to go, oh, wow, I didn't know I could say that. So um, energy field boundaries, those are two huge things um, that, that we need to master as empaths. I totally agree with you. And I've been working on both of those for quite some time and I continue to get better and I, I continue to slip up and you know, it is a, it is a journey, but Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to speak to something you just shared. This book, unlike so many other books that I've read is filled with actual applicable tools. It is a very pragmatic tool for how to navigate being an empath. There's chapters and, and there's tons of of stories of other people where I saw myself in their stories and that was empowering. But then there's, there is language for how to say no, there's self-care strategies, there's, and I'm not getting a dime for this, but I've already been sharing your book. It's like, oh my God, this is what we need. We need, okay, what do I do now? (laughs) And that's what you give us. So thank you for that. (laughs) That is feedback that is very meaningful to me because that, that was the point. And I, and I think that's kind of part of my signature style in workshops as well is I'm going to talk about the high level stuff. I'm going to bring in the perspective. I'm going to bring in kind of the spiritual big picture. And then we're going to hit, you know, where the rubber meets the road and figure out how to make this practical and applicable in our lives. That's just so important. That's exactly what we need right now. Like I said, we're here to write the handbooks. So you've done a great job with that. And it's a, it's a joy to gift it to a couple of people that I think can really benefit from this. My copy's not going anywhere. It's staying on the shelf. It's, it's really wonderful. Your self-care piece alone, whether you're an empath or not, self-care is something that all of us who are here to help others tend to be really bad at <laughs> mm-hmm. taking care of ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, we're not just dealing with our nature as an empath. We're also dealing with the collective programming that wears exhaustion as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. That, you know, our, our paradigm is, you know, the harder you work, the, the, the more it means you care, the more you sacrifice, the more it means you care. You know, it's like all of these twisted up sets of values. And then on top of that, the collective consciousness around women, that women are supposed to be the caretakers or they're better suited for it. And they do all of the giving and caretaking of the family. So we have to sift through multiple layers of of programming and, and kind of energetic predisposition to sort out, okay, what, what am I going to buy into? (laughs) You know, what is my belief system? That's not mine. That was my parents that I'm going to release that from my paradigm. Um, You know, so again, I I said earlier that we have to be rebels in a way we have to be rebels with our vigilant self care. And sometimes we're going to piss people off or we're going to disappoint somebody or they might say, oh, God, you know, you're just weak or you're a wuss or you have a thin skin and we just go, okay, you know, you can, you can have your opinion. And I know I need this for me. Exactly. Well, and between learning to take better care of ourselves and the time that that takes that we're used to giving to everybody else that we now reclaim as ours. Mm -hmm. And then learning how to say no 
And that's going to upset people that are used to taking every last thing we have and then some. Mm-hmm. We do find most of us that our social circle starts to shift. We upset part of our family that's used to getting everything they can from us because that's the way we were. And we've got friends that we've attracted that want us to take care of them because that's what we were putting out. So there, there is a difficult period of standing in self-love and allowing those people to step away if that's what they want to do. What do you say to people who are in that phase of it? Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is there is an energetic explanation for those kinds of experiences. And so when I'm working with people who are starting to practice saying no and setting uh, boundaries and asking for what they need, I share this concept because it's very helpful. So if everything is vibration, then you're resonating at a certain frequency and everything in your life, you know, disharmony or dissonance is always seeking resolution, always seeking some kind of equanimity. And so in your family circle, your social circles, there's a a harmony that has been established, if you will, a resonance. When you make changes to your belief system, I'm going to start taking care of myself. I'm going to say no more often. I'm going to ask for what I need. You're changing your frequency. Your vibration is changing. And now everything in your world, your partner, your kids, your boss, your social circles are all going to have to readjust because now the frequencies might be in dissonance and they're either going to levelize out to a new frequency of harmony or they're going to get vibrated uh, away, if you will, and kind of repelled because there is a dissonance that cannot be resolved. And so it is human nature to want to be able to predict, to, to have something, you know, because that creates safety, that creates security. We know what somebody's going to say, we know what they're going to do, that makes our world feel a little safer. So when you're changing how you operate, you're leaving your box. <laughs> and it's human nature to, to go, no, 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 get back in your box. I know who you are there. I know you're going to say yes to this and no to that. And here's how you're going to respond to that. When you're outside of your box, I don't know what you're going to do. And so it is a natural reaction then. And I do mean reaction and not response, because for many people, it is an unconscious energetic reaction to your shift in vibration. So sometimes that means they're going to get mad at you. They're going to try to manipulate you or guilt you, whatever their go-to move is to try to get you to go back in your box. If you can just know that that's a natural product of the shift in vibration, then it's easier to handle. It's like, you know, not like you're trying to intend that it's going to happen, but you're just preparing so that if it does happen, you're not shaken off of your center and then you renege, you know, and backpedal and all right, I'll get back in my box. So does, does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I love that you brought in frequency and vibration because we speak about that often on this show. And exactly when we shift the the vibration that we're putting out, it changes everything and it shakes things up and it makes people uncomfortable. And and that's when I think it's so important to just remember this is a journey of of loving myself. It's not an ego journey. It's a heart journey. And Mm -hmm. I can't love anybody better than I love me. So I need to just stay with this journey of loving me because in the end, I'm going to love you better if I love me better. Right. That's kind of the, the way it flows. 
Yeah, and it's similar, uh, that concept that you just said is similar to a quote, a Rumi quote that I keep on my bulletin board, which is, never give from the depth of your well, but from your overflow. Ooh, I love that. That is so Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And that's a different way. You know, we've talked about relationships in general with family, with friends, particularly in romantic relationships. This is uh, also a big game changer, right? Because instead of me completing you and you completing me, which is what every romantic song ever written seems to to sound like, it's like, no, we're not doing that anymore. I'm going to complete me and you're going to complete you. And we're going to learn how to give from the overflow and share that experience together. And Mm -hmm. I know personally, it's taken me into a different type of person I want to be with, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of uncomfort, a lot of stops and starts. And I'm sure that you help your clients with that kind of stuff as well, don't you? Yeah, I do. I I wouldn't say that I'm a relationship specialist, but in terms of just understanding the dynamics, I I like to think of what you just said in terms of the masculine and feminine archetypes. And in the concept of the sacred marriage. And so, you know, we live in a patriarchal world that values masculine and left brain qualities. And so therefore devalues feminine and right brain qualities. So there's already this inequality that gets internalized as we're growing up. And so we have our own inner relationship between our inner masculine and feminine And so getting to know our inner masculine and feminine and working on the sacred marriage, which is basically the relationship between those two aspects of self, is is how we achieve that wholeness so that we're not projecting onto our partner. You know, so for example, as women, a common message is it's not okay to be aggressive. It's not okay to want sex more than your partner. It's not okay um, to, to be, uh, athletic or have, have a big energy or, you know, whatever. And so because we get those messages, we internalize them and we cleave off that part of us. Those are masculine qualities, tell ourselves that we don't have them. And then we project them onto our partner, which is kind of the basis of the, you complete me. I need these things in you because I don't have them in myself. That's not true. You do have them in yourself, but you killed them off or you banished them from the kingdom because that's what you thought, you know, was the right thing to do. And so you're so right about um, showing up in relationship whole and complete unto yourself um, paves the way for an entirely new experience of relationship. And it's a journey worth traveling, just like mm-hmm. all of these other things about an empath. And I th- and I brought that up on this show about being an empath because I think we're even more prone to lose ourselves in a relationship of any kind, oh, romantic yes. or otherwise. So it's like, okay, let me pull back again. I'm starting to disappear. Where mm-hmm. am I? And I've actually said that out loud before. I'm afraid with you, I'll just disappear because mm-hmm. I I kind of feel that when I'm aware of it that I'm I'm starting to disappear, and that's my sign that wait, I need to go back and do a little, <laughs> a little more mm-hmm. adjustment on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so easy for us to abdicate our own throne and drop our anchor in another human and live from their perspective that our locus of identity is centered inside of them. And so a big part of our work as sensitive beings is to 
pull our energy back into our own field, which is why it's important to understand where your edges are and to establish them so that you know where the boundaries of your own kingdom or queendom are so that you can come back and sit in your own throne and and be self-referencing and grounded and centered in your own sense of self. And that is a practice that takes time uh, and it takes time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. You do such an eloquent job of discussing these things. You give good language to it. It's very clear. I'm grateful that you have dedicated yourself to this work because the messages that you so beautifully speak are craving to be heard right now by many. And I hope they will find it on this show and in your book and other things. What have we not touched on in the book that you'd like to to discuss today as well? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I could talk about this for hours, obviously, because <laughs> it's an important subject, but um, there's just a couple of features of the book that I want to point out. You know, the first half is more of the high level perspective, setting the stage, the definition, etc. The second half is the tools, the rubber meets the road, you know, energy and boundaries, embodiment masculine, feminine balance, self-care, and those sorts of things. In addition, there are eight guided meditations that accompany this book. They're entirely free. There's a website in the book that you go to that's hosted by the publisher where you can get all of these. And these are not just light, fluffy, float around kind of meditations. These are good, beefy, meaty, meaningful, useful meditations that help you get in touch with your body, for example, to help you um, get in touch with and begin a conversation with your inner masculine, with your inner feminine. So these are useful meditations that complement and accompany the material in the book. I confess I haven't done those yet, but I'm actually excited like a kid in a candy store, like, oh, good, I missed something. I get to go do those now. I look forward to that. I'm sure they're wonderful. And you have a great voice for that. So I do look forward to that. Well, it's been such an honor to connect with you today and learn so much about being an empath. And I feel more empowered from our conversation. I definitely feel more empowered with this book in my possession. And I encourage the listener, if you felt this show, The Evolutionary Empath, there's going to be a link to it on the show where you can purchase it. And Stephanie, is there a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with today? Well, I know that I can take things really seriously. You know, my growing edge is to be a little more light and joyful. And so don't take this um, information like I'm putting this really heavy mantle on your shoulders, like the weight of, oh, I am an evolutionary empath. I'm, I'm here to help humanity ascend to the next level of consciousness. Oh, God, what do I have to do? You know, it doesn't have to be like somebody just you know, put this giant responsibility on your shoulders. It's about an awareness and that you don't have to do anything different in your life than what you're already doing. Your awareness and consciousness of being an empath and being that, emanating that, being who you are, where you are is enough. I love that. Yes. My partner has gotten me to laugh a lot more. I have the same what did you call it? Your your leading edge, your changing edge? My growing edge. Growing edge. I love that. <laughs> I have the same one because laughter is really good medicine. And and it's true. If we don't do anything any different, we'll have what we've always had. So it's I look at it as an invitation 
to play with it and change a few things and see if your life flows better. I know mine certainly has since I've been working on this gift and, and playing with it more and really finding my edges and learning my no's and yeses and speaking my authentic voice. So I hope our listeners will as well. And thank you for spending the time with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm so thrilled. And I also want to let people know that uh, the audio version of the book just came out last week. So if you love audiobooks, you can get this uh, in the audio form as well. Excellent. That is definitely a growing trend. So I'm glad you've made it available that way. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And thank you, listener. Thank you for joining us. Let us know what you thought of the show. You can give us feedback and support at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time for another episode of Exploring Possibilities.